I'm back. Some of you may have noticed that I haven't been sitting with my microphone for a few weeks. May was a pretty crazy month for me. I went to New Zealand to visit my mom and then launched straight into my move from Houston to the Twin Cities. I now live in St. Paul, Minnesota, and so far it has been beautiful, I might add. So now this podcast is brought to you from the Twin Cities. And that is where I was when I interviewed this week's guest just a couple of weeks back. Her name is Courtney McDermott. I met her personally when we both attended a workshop together and we hit it off instantaneously. I'm sure you will pick up from this conversation, if you've been listening for a little while, that we see the world through similar eyes. And I love the way she explains some of the concepts about personal growth and how we all have this ability to spark change that starts within us. So a little bit about Courtney. She's an award-winning writer, speaker, and strategist to Fortune 500 executives, entrepreneurial leaders, and think tanks around the world. Before turning into an entrepreneur, Courtney served as an executive for Vanity Fair Corporation. She was also the vice president of Sustainability Partners and a professor of graduate studies for several Big Ten universities and global associate for the renowned B Cause Consortium. A graduate of the London School of Economics and a certified cultural mediator in multiple languages, Courtney also writes for a number of international publications, including the Huffington Post, and she owns it. Courtney lives with her family, who she talks a little bit about in this podcast, between Italy and the USA. Enough of me introducing it. Let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me on Here to Thrive today. It's really exciting to get to speak with you. Thank you, Kate. I'm super happy to be here. Look, you've got a new book that's just about to be released, and I feel very blessed that I got to get a look through it, a sneak peek. And there was one quote that stuck out to me early on in the book that I thought would be a great opening for our discussion here. You wrote, Sometimes rock bottom can look a lot like being on the top to everybody else. Can you just launch in and tell us a bit about your personal story, your rock bottom, and how that probably looked like success to the outside world? Yes, absolutely. So about six and a half years ago now, I I found myself having achieved all of the accolades and the positions and everything else that society deems gives one the position of successful. And I was, I was uh, an executive at Vanity Fair Corporation and I was 
I was trotting all around the world and doing this amazing work and a lot of which I loved. Um, but I just remember at a certain point, I felt like I was constantly in this place of urgency and everything that was going on in my life just felt like it was just one thing after another. And I felt like I was doing so many things, but I wasn't really doing any of them well, or at least the way that I felt good about and that I, I didn't feel like I was constantly striving and chasing after things. And, and it was funny because I always tell this story of my daughter. Also in, in my recent TEDx talks, talk, I tell the story of my daughter, um, blocking my Blackberry one day and I was heading to the airport and I was, I was frantically packing and everything. And I just, I, and she blocked my Blackberry and it was a public holiday here where I live in Italy and um, most of the time, most of the year. And so I couldn't get any help with it. And I just remember just being so freaked out about this Blackberry that didn't work and how I couldn't connect with this online world. And I was leaving. And so it was, it was compounded by that. And, and at some point, and I was actually sitting on a private jet when this occurred to me that I was so worried about my Blackberry and I wasn't all that worried about here. I was leaving my daughter for a few days on a trip and leaving my husband. And I just realized that it wasn't even so much a question of priorities as it was that I, I wasn't really living my values. And I wasn't even really sure at that point what my values were. And I felt like I was just chasing all of these ideas about success and what, what my values should be. And I wasn't really in tune with what I really wanted and what I really, what was really truly important and not urgent. And, and so that was kind of the, the, I call it a, a cold and lonely hallelujah, because it took me a while to get to that point, a while of chasing and feeling that constant nagging of like, it's never enough and I'm not quite there. And just this one more goal and I'll feel better about myself and my life is, you know, so so that was what it felt like um, when I hit that, what I call that rock bottom that looked like the top to everyone else. I, you used the word miserably, or sorry, the phrase miserably successful. Mm -hmm. Where did you go from that moment on that private jet, realizing that you're locked out of your Blackberry, just kind of having to be in the moment? How do you, was that the moment that you realized that you were miserably successful? I think that was the first really, really strong glimpse I had of it. I, I had had, I had been exposed to it before that. And, but that was the first moment that I just thought, Whoa, wait, <laughs> something is wrong here. Something is definitely wrong. And, and you, you said it perfectly is that I had to, I, I was forced to be present because I couldn't be distracted by my Blackberry or, uh, the other things that were go going on in that world that lives inside of our phones, right. Or our other devices. And so, but so that was a, that was a, a splash in the face, but there were many instances. And I remember even shortly after that trip, dropping my daughter off to daycare before I was leaving for another, uh, yet another trip away for work and just feeling, I just, I bawled my eyes out in the parking lot. I was just so, I, I, I was, I was at this huge crossroads where I had to decide where I was going to buck up and just keep at it because that was what was expected of me. Or if I was going to have the courage to, to step out of that dynamic and, and really see what it was that I wanted and that I cared about and what my, what my values truly were. So. 
I think that leads really nicely into a little bit of a discussion about courage. So you did change things up and you did change your lifestyle from being that crazy, urgent, corporate woman jet-setting around the world. And how did you do that? How did you find that courage? Where did it Mm. come from? Well, that's such a perfect word, right? Because courage, it's, it comes from courage. It comes from heart, right? And just really listening to those intuitive nudges. I mean, sometimes you might feel this in your heart. I know people who feel it in their solar plexus. Um, for me, it, it comes even sometimes in that third, that, you know, third eye space. It's almost, it's a, it's, it, it can come from really anywhere. A lot of times people talk though about following your heart. So I think that's the perfect word because I was getting these intuitive nudges and that, that something was, was very, very off. And also other nudges saying, well, here's maybe what you could do about it. And it wasn't a, a leap and hope that the net will appear. It was more of a, okay, maybe these are these baby steps that you can start taking toward um, toward understanding what it is that what your vision is, what your values are, and how you can start moving in that direction. So I would say that finding the courage or the way I found the courage was actually just listening to it, right? Listening to my heart, listening to my solar plexus, listening to these other places that in my body actually that were telling me. And one of the things I always say is like the body never lies, you know, it can't, um, There are trillions of chemical reactions occurring in our body per second. And every single one of them is correlated with every other one. You know, that is everyone knows what every other one is doing. So our body is infinitely intelligent and it's always communicating to us. And we, so in whether, you know, you want to talk about that coming from also a different space of spirit and everything else, it's coming through our bodies as a very clear, if we will stop and listen to it, expression of what our, our higher self is, is feeling called to the direction it's feeling called to move in. And again, it's, it's about taking those timeouts and saying, okay, wait, something, so I feel something's wrong and how can I start redirecting or course correcting? I love that. And I love that you talk about it not being some grand leap and the net will catch you, but a whole heap of baby steps in, mm-hmm. in that redirecting in a new direction. Because I feel like so often we can look at self-help or uh, hear other people's stories and they're like, oh, it was just this grand gesture. You know, you've got to throw away your old life and start your new one. When mm-hmm. for me, that my nature is not like that. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. the baby step idea feels so much more comfortable to me. And the fact that it's just, like you said, following your heart, listening to that intuition and taking the next right step. You may not see the whole path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's so important today because so many people are, like you said, getting that message that they have to just have this quote courage to just take the leap, leave their job, leave their spouse, leave, you know, whatever it is that's making them unhappy instead of realizing that, well, first and foremost, finding what they're happy about in their current situation and what they truly adore and love about it. And, and then building off of that, you know, how can I create more of that? Like I have a very close friend of mine. She's an executive at a, um, kind of a leading organization in the United States. And she has been telling me recently, you know, she's just craving for more community and less bureaucracy. And it's funny, you know, she has this dream of opening up a a tiny, 
restaurant kind of like coffee shop and we were talking about it and we just started to get to this point of okay what would baby steps be right instead of just leaving your amazing quote amazing job tomorrow and and giving it all to this coffee shop when you know you have a mortgage and you have kids and everything else how can you sort of go about creating that feeling of community um, that you're craving right now and so we started to go through just like these tiny little steps that she could take and she noticed as she was doing them that she was already getting that relief of, oh, wait, actually, I don't need to do things this way. And like you said, I don't have to just risk it all on a game of pitch and toss. So I think that point is really important as well. Very much so. Mm-hmm. When you were in corporate, you were a sustainability expert, right? Well, originally I was a corporate communications I was an executive in corporate communications and it's a very long story about how I ended up in a sustainability and it's an interesting one, but one that uh, probably don't have time for on this podcast. But what ultimately led me there was that I had written a paper about sustainability. And when I started writing that paper, I didn't really know that much about it. And I was proposing this idea of a, um, what I called corporate agenda 21. And it was really this idea of corporations coming together to solve these major crises we're facing today, both um, in, in economically, socially, uh, environmentally, et cetera. And like I said, when I started, I really didn't know that much about sustainability or corporate responsibility. And I was actually writing this paper for the Corporate Communications Institute, Corporate Communications International of New York. And um, it's a, it was crazy because I I I was doing this kind of, you know, in my spare time in the evenings and everything. And that paper went on to, to win an award and all these other things. And that's what launched my career into corporate responsibility or sustainability. And, um, and so I started, I started working on that with different brands and, and that's how I got into what, what we call sustainability. Mm -hmm. So you started, well, not started, but you were a corporate sustainability and now you focus more on the individual. How has your understanding of sustainability changed over the years? Oh, so drastically. So when I was, so I was, when I started this, I just felt like the learning curve was so steep and my knowledge of it so thin. And so I just had so much to learn and catch up on of, you know, what was going on in the world and what, what were those main issues that we were facing and what were we doing about them and what was truly effective and what wasn't. And so I started off and I was working for um, just a few brands in our portfolio and I ended up working for more brands, sort of just taking on more and more responsibility and working with kind of the traditional, what I call traditional sustainability or traditional corporate responsibility, which basically take somewhat of a, of a band-aid approach to the problems we're facing. It's sort of like if you popped a pill for a tummy ache when what you really needed was to avoid eating a, a lot of cake and chasing it down with wine, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it's what we do, not just in sustainability, but we do it throughout our lives and you see it in everywhere. You see it in medicine. You see it, you just see it all over the place of like, Oh wait, you're, there's a pain. Let's just take something to alleviate the pain, but let's not look at the root causes. Let's not go there. And, um, so I had been doing this for quite a while and I've been doing it for numerous brands. And then I started when I left my company, because I, when I decided I was going to set out on my own, I was actually taken on board by an organization called sustainability partners. And I became their vice president and we were working with clients like Nike and Starbucks and the U S military and NASA and helping them with their sustainability programs. And I still felt this, there was something inside of me that was just saying that we were looking at things. It was almost like the, nobody was saying the emperor is not wearing any clothes, you know? 
So we were sort of just, just like chasing all these ideas, like, you know, counting your greenhouse gas emissions and reporting them to the carbon disclosure project and looking at your waste and all this stuff. And it just felt like we were so distracted by these macro issues that we were missing the micro solution that was staring us so clearly in the face. And the micro solution was the individual, right? So all of our greatest spiritual traditions teach us this same lesson, which is that, uh, ultimately kind of what I've, what, where my book title comes from, which is change starts within you, right? So as Gandhi put it, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And again, as, as all of our spiritual teachers have told us is that it, it starts within, right? And it starts with doing that work. And if you haven't done that work, it's kind of like that expression you hear all the time now of putting the life vest on yourself first. And there's, there's a real important reason for that. And we all know it is that you really can't help anyone. I think, especially as women, we know that intuitively that at those times when we haven't taken care of ourselves, you know, we're natural caretakers, but at that, those times where we've really neglected our own self care, we see that our children suffer, our husbands, our families are, you know, everything kind of everything even around us suffers when we haven't given ourselves that space and that attention and that care. And so my, yeah, I, I, I actually started really working on two things around sustainability. First was wanting to really make it simple. And I say also a little sexy, right? Because it's so not sexy, uh, right now in, in, in corporate. So I wanted to give it that spin of it being something fun and enjoyable rather than being this like, Oh, we're, you know, we've got all these crises we're facing and let's just put a department next to legal and have them deal with it, but have it be something more that touched on the opportunity because there's a massive amount of opportunity in this thing we call sustainability. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was what I mentioned a moment ago, which is really just focusing on the individual and getting the individual in a good place so that the individual can impact, you know, so that the micro, the microorganism can impact and affect the macro organism. Right. So it's like, it's like the cells in a body. And maybe we'll talk more about this later, but right. If like we need each individual cell to be, to be healthy, right. And to be doing its job. And and so that's really where my thinking has evolved around sustainability. And I now define sustainability as the ability to sustain yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, so it that's, makes so yeah. much sense. It mm. totally makes so much sense. The ability to sustain yourself. So mm. I want to talk a little bit more about that. And how do we sustain ourselves? What does a sustainable life at an individual level look like, in your opinion? I like to think of what I talk about in my book and also in my TEDx talk and, and here with you as it's not this like kind of linear one, two, three, a magic wand that you can just say, Oh, poof. And you're, you're all set and your problems are all solved. Um, so it's not like, Oh, you just do these three steps and you're good to go. It's, it's sort of this, it's a nonlinear awareness, I guess, that starts to develop in someone as they get clarity on a, on a few important things in their life. And one of the first areas that I think is so important for someone to get clarity on is, is what I call their, well, there's, well, there's first is their values, right? So it's this, it's sort of taking an inventory. So the, the first thing that a person would, would, want to look at if they were wanting to create a more sustainable life is what, what's happening in my life right now? What, what feels good and what doesn't feel so hot, you know? And, and in that process also coming to a very clear understanding of what their values are. So I give an exercise and I don't know if you, if you want me to 
you, to talk about that right now, but it really kind of blew my mind the first time I was exposed to it. And, um, and, and I give this exercise so that people can really get to the root of what it is they care most about. You can totally share it with us. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it, Courtney. Great. So this is an adaptation actually from an exercise I learned in, um, create, I think it's called create the life you love. I'm sorry. I don't have the reference right in front of me, but, um, you can find it. It's, it's referenced in my book as well. And I'm just going to give an adaptation. Like I said, so it's not the full exercise, which I would, I would suggest that everyone do, but it's just take a moment to imagine someone who's a hero, someone who's a hero for you, who you consider to, just really be a source of inspiration in your life. Just take a moment to envision them and connect with any of your senses, you know, what you, what you feel, what you see when you're, when you're imagining that person. And then you can take another moment, just about a half a minute or so to just jot down any characteristics, any personality traits, Anything that makes that person a hero for you. And I'll just give a few seconds for you to actually do it right now because it's powerful when it's done in the moment. Okay, now that you have those, <clears throat> now that you have those characteristics, those personality traits, Go ahead and put that person's name above them and take a few more seconds with it just in case there's anything that you want to add. Typically, you'd have a little more time for this exercise and we'd be looking at more heroes for you, but I'm just going to take one. Okay, and now that you've completed about it, you can just go ahead and cross that person's name out and put your own in the place of their name. So the characteristics and the personality traits and all the values and beautiful things that you probably just wrote down are actually yours. And you wouldn't even be able to see them in someone else if you didn't possess them and if you didn't, it weren't deeply connected with them Ugh. yourself. Yeah. So good. Right. So the first time I did this exercise, I actually did it for four heroes and I'll just bring up one, uh, which was my husband. Right. And it was just this unconditional love and, and his presence and his commitment to our family and to me and to my daughter. And it was, it was brilliant because I realized, wow, these are really important values of mine and I've been neglecting them. I haven't been fully present. I haven't been fully engaged with my daughter. I've been distracted. I've been, I've been missing out. Mm. <laughs> and, and so it's this, this exercise can also be deeply humbling because you realize those places where your deepest self is being called to show up and where it may or may not be doing so. Yeah, I hear you. I think this is a really good way to really look at the stuff that we admire. And like you said, if we can see it in someone else, it means that it matters to us and that we probably have it too, right? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And some of those you'll see when you do this exercise, you'll see, oh, I, I am like that. I do show up in that way. And that's also comforting because you can say, wow, I'm really showing up for that value 
in my life. And, and there's a, there's a deep sense of satisfaction that comes from that, right? Because there are these things I heard it once described as intrinsic and key values, right? So there are these intrinsic values and that's what comes naturally to you. It's kind of like the things nobody has to hold you accountable for. I mean, maybe, maybe you just love to exercise and, and, and stay fit. And that's an intrinsic value and nobody needs to tell you go to the gym or whatever it is. And, and your key values on the other hand are things that are really, really important to you, but for whatever reason, you're just not pulling up show, show, uh, showing up fully for them. Mm. And so I think that that distinction is also important because it kind of gives us a break, especially as women, like where we feel like we're supposed to be showing up for everything, but just because you, you're not showing up in this moment doesn't make you a bad person or, you know, anything else. It just means that, Hey, wait, my, you know, this, my, my self is talking to me here and telling me, or you know, my soul or however you want to call it is telling me to, that this is something that's really important. And, and, and I can, now that I know, and I've identified this, I can actually do something about it, which leads me into. So, as I said, the first thing to get clarity on is kind of your values and where you're coming from. It's kind of like taking a, a picture of the current state of you. And the second thing I, I typically have people work with is their vision. Mm-hmm. Now I use that word in a very different way than most people. Uh, I use it the way that it was originally intended, actually, because vision is not about some future far off state. It's not a five year plan or anything like that. It's vision means to see clearly in the present. So vision is about having clarity about your your potential and your potential is actually unlimited, right? So we can sort of draw from anything, but it's sort of just seeing it, right? So it's seeing clearly in the present. So when I do some of the exercises there and they're a bit longer, so harder to share on a podcast, but when I do some of those exercises there, people getting clarity on, oh wait, I can already see myself there is really powerful because it's kind of like the minute you've envisioned something, it, it, it's, it already exists on a certain level or a certain plane. And so the next steps or the next, I don't even, I'm hesitant to call them steps because it's not really a process, but the next sort of way to go, way to move into that direction of your vision is understanding, okay, well, what, how do I take action? How do I take action knowing that these are my values and this is my vision. How do I take action? What kind of action can I take and how can I remain really focused? So that's, those pieces are at the foundation of everything I teach and everything I share also in my book and my TEDx talk is kind of like, okay, I know these things and I'm going to start sort of taking those steps. As you said, those baby steps, it's like that this compound interest factor then leads you directly into, and you're just going to just the next, next thing you know, you're sort of, you're there. So I want to go there. I want to go into this discussion about compound interest, because I, as I said at the start of the podcast, when I was introducing Courtney, I met Courtney at a conference in Chicago and we just met and we're walking along I'm like I need coffee Courtney and so she's walking with me to Starbucks and she's telling me this story about compound interest and how important it is when we apply the idea to ourselves as individuals so I would love if you could share that because I can remember being mesmerized I was like (laughs) oh my gosh what a good way to look at our own well-being and sustainability so can you share how compound interest is a relevant concept to us as individuals? 
Absolutely. And I'm, I just want to let you know, I'm smiling ear to ear, recalling that memory. It was so lovely meeting you and having that, having all the moments actually that we shared at that conference, we which had I think so is so much fun. Exactly. <laughs> it's the gift. It's the gift of every conference or event. Like the biggest gift is those rare people that you just connect with immediately. And exactly. So compound interest is really, okay. So let's take a step back. Cause most people most people talk about compound interest when they're talking about finances, right? And so they're telling you to invest. And we can actually start there because it's a great way to understand what compound interest is. So compound interest is, I'll give you an example of if I offer you a penny today and I say I'm going to double the value of that, you know, that you possess starting with that every day. So on day two, it would be two pennies. On day three, four pennies. On day four, eight pennies. I'm going to do that for a month or I'm going to give you $2.5 million right now. Which would you choose? See, I would, I would want to go for the $2.5 million right now. <laughs> so the thing is, a lot of people say, they, they sort of like eat the marshmallow, don't eat the marshmallow. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, and, and a lot of people, they don't automatically, you know, they're not doing the math. And I, I definitely was one of those people. I wasn't doing the math when I first heard this concept. Um, but here, here's how it works is if, if you, if you were in February, for example, you'd be making a bad bet. Like if you were on a 28 day February, um, you'd be making a bad bet because you'd be left with one point something. I 1.6, I want to say, or something like that. Um, but if you are in, you're moving into months of 30 days, uh, or 31 days, like at 30 days, you're actually at 5 million over $5 million or euros or whatever your currency is. And at 31 days, you're at over 10 million. If you waited it out and you stuck with the, that original investment. Um, now again, you could say, well, if you're, if you're the greatest investor, if you're, if you're Sir John Templeton, you'd be probably wiser to take the 2.5 and just start investing that. <laughs> um, but for most of us, we want to stick with that penny if, if the month is, is right. And so here's what that translates to what it translates to. And actually it's what Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. And what he was talking about was not about money. It wasn't about finances. It was the fact that if you put in this small effort, this small practice every day, that at the end of an extended time, you know, it doesn't have to be months or years, but even at a sh the end of a short period of time, you're already going to start seeing transformation occur. You're going to start feeling the miracle of that. And I'll give you an example, even just, just today, just today, I was just so amazed. I was playing the piano and I was just so, I was blown away by the fact that I started studying music. I started studying different instruments as an adult. And everybody said, well, that's crazy. You're an adult, you know, and you, you know, why are you bothering around with that? And I remember at the beginning it being so terrible because I was like chopsticks, you know, <laughs> and it was just, it was, it was, I was even questioning myself, you know, is this something that I should be doing? But I felt so called to it. And it was just, it's so beautiful today to be able to play beautiful music and to really have just made these massive leaps in my understanding of, of music and how I connect to it and how I play it now. And, and all of that was just a small amount of effort on a consistent basis. Mm, and it. Yeah. And it's just so powerful. And we don't, you know, we don't think, or we think we either, it's like all or nothing, or we have to throw it all in. And, 
And we really don't. Um, and, and that's what I've seen in my own life is that when I've just applied consistent effort. And the other thing I want to, I want to just make clear because lots of times people think, Oh my God, I missed a day. So, <laughs> you know, I missed a day. So I might as well just scratch this whole thing and it doesn't work that way. And I'll give an example. I've actually got two concerts, um, tomorrow and Friday, I'm going to be singing and playing piano with a group of people. And I, and I just, I just got back from a five day trip in Madrid and I didn't practice at all, you know, during those five days. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not that you just, you, you leave it and then you have to worry, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's not like that. You can always come back and you can always just apply that again and start over and, but not even start over because you're starting over at a different level. So it's important for people to, to know how powerful this is, but also not get tripped up if they miss a day or they miss a week or they, they lose sight of it for a while. It's, that's okay too. It makes um, so I, much sense. So much sense. Yeah. I even know people who, who do like, they, they call it like binging, you know, and I even heard recently, who did I hear speak about this? Oh gosh. Uh, Got tiny beautiful things uh, help me here. She wrote Wild as well. Oh, Cheryl um, Strait. Yes, Cheryl Strait. And Cheryl Strait was talking about binging, you know, and she was talking about her writing being done in binges. And I, I was so happy to hear her talk about it that way because I have a fairly consistent writing practice. But there'll be times when I just, I just for whatever reason, I'm traveling or whatever else, and it'll, it'll go by the wayside a little bit. And one of the other ways that I have about thinking of this is like seasons, you know, the seasons of things. Mm -hmm. So it's like, could be a season for writing. It can be a season for something else. And just being softer with yourself. If you feel like you're, you know, you need to do it all, which is definitely something I was trapped in for a really long time. And just realizing that it's, it's when one of the things I always say is it's, you can have your cake and eat it too, but you can't have multiple cakes at the same time. <laughs> Such a good way to put it because I see it with my own clients. It's like, personal development, the, the other side of that can, it can very quickly turn into another way to beat up on ourselves. Because, oh, yes. And I just don't believe in that kind of personal development, your ideas of seasons and binging. That's so much more in line with me because when I think about my own growth and for example, I've been moving over the last month, my meditation practices got out of whack and a few other mm -hmm. things. But I know that when I sit back down on my mat and I did for the first time last night, that mm -hmm. I don't go right back to square one. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like my gains have been lost and I can just come back and start again. Like you're saying, makes it's, yes. it takes out the guilt. I don't want to feel guilty about continuing to move myself in whatever direction feels good. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Oh gosh, I couldn't agree more. And I and I think that point about guilt, gosh, how important is that today in our society and especially amongst women of just feeling really guilty for one reason or another for not showing up in some way and, and easing up on ourselves and really starting to accept because it's, it's funny because it's like, first we're not showing up. So we're beating ourselves up there. And then, and then on top of it, we're feeling guilty about not showing up. Yeah, right. So we beat like, ourselves up a second time. Yeah, we double like, whammy it. <laughs> oh gosh. You know, even if you just get rid of that, that second, you know, that whiplash yeah. effect, you are in a much better place. Such you know? a good way to so, put it. The whiplash yeah. effect. Yeah. Okay. I want to jump into the, uh, I do like some intermission questions with every interview just to like mess things up a little bit. And so people can, having heard you speak a little bit now, learn a little bit more about you personally. Mm. So are you a morning person or a night person, Courtney? 
<laughs> I'm mostly a morning person. If I get over the bump in the evening, I can be a total party animal. The bump. <laughs> so is it like that sick and wind idea? So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I call it the bump. And there's this <laughs> there's this point in the evening where I'm just exhausted. And that's usually around 9.30ish, maybe 10. And it's I'm checking out. And my husband is just, <laughs> he's... he's He's just, he's very understanding. So he just, you know, it, cause I live most of the year I live in Italy. And so, you know, people will tend to kind of stay up later and definitely he comes from a family where they stay up quite late. I, his parents, even now they stay up until after midnight. Um, and so it's very common here for, for that to happen, but I'm nine 30. I'm kind of ready to, I'm ready to hit the, the sack. And, um, usually I do actually, but if I get over that bump, then I, I can hang out for a good while. For hours. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. you're a morning person and a night person culture. I love exactly. that. It's like, I've got to get through and ride that wave and then I go all night. Exactly. What's currently sitting on your nightstand next to your bed? Mm, books, you mean? Well, what else is there? There's obviously some books. Do you have There's anything a else? There's some earplugs. <laughs> See? Fascinating stuff. I want to know about the earplugs in the lab. <laughs> It took me forever to find the right earplugs. I can't stand earplugs. And I got, I finally got the right wax ones that I can deal with. Cause I actually, the way I'm designed is actually, I would, I would need to sleep by myself, but, uh, my, my husband wants to be in bed with me. That's, a, so. that's a very nice thing of your husband to want, to want to cuddle with you. Yeah. And my, and my daughter too, often wants to hang out in our bed. So it's just, it's, I'm always, I'm needing to use earplugs most of the time. So those are on my nightstand. I have a tiny lamp that I got when I was living in London and I have a, a few, a couple books. What, can you uh, remember the books? books? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, one of the books, so the books that I'm actually reading right now that are actually on, on their nightstand material at the moment is Sapiens, a brief history of humankind Ooh. by Yuval Harari. It's absolutely, uh, it's blow your mind. Amazing. And I'm about three quarters of the way through and every single word in this book is genius. And I highly, highly recommend it. And I'm also reading The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I really by- need to read this by Bronnie Ware, right? Bronnie Ware, yes, yes, exactly. So those are the two books. And actually that The Top Five Regrets I got at our at our seminar. Yeah. It was actually a gift from our mutual friend that we met there. I don't know if she wants to be named Aww. or not. But it was a mutual gift from her. And, and it, and I, for whatever reason, I, I hadn't opened it until really recently, uh, actually right when I finished my book and I just started reading it and I'm loving it. It's, it's brilliant. That is beautiful. Yeah. Self care. What do you do for self care, Courtney? And do you have a favorite activity? massages. Oh, oh my gosh. If you, if you I touch haven't had body, one in ages. Oh my God. Yeah. I get, I, I, I get massages, but I also get kind of different sorts of energy or body treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, I go as much as I can to a local woman in my town who does a mixture of things. She does light therapy and shiatsu and aromatherapy and all sorts of stuff. And I always feel really fabulous after I've left her, her space so I, I try to go there as much as possible, but even when I'm traveling around, if I can get a massage or if I can uh, get my husband to give me a massage or just anybody to give me a just, massage. Yeah, just rub my skin. I'm a sucker for hot stone massages. Oh, oh my gosh. I am such a sucker. I'm like, if someone's got a hot stone, I'm like, 
Yes. Oh, you need to put yes. that on my back or my legs or my feet or just put it anywhere. <laughs> oh my God. Exactly. Oh, the first time I got one of those, it was a couple of, if I want to say a few years ago and I was back in Chicago with my family and we just, the girls and my family, we went to get massages and they gave this hot stone massage and I didn't even know what they were doing. And I, I was just, I was, oh my God, I couldn't even, it was the best massage I had ever because had. Because the and stones are so smooth. Like if you haven't had one, you've got to try a hot stone massage. You have to, yeah. have to, have to. Have They're to. really good. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book? You've already shared two that uh, you're currently reading, but is there a book that you've read over the years that has really had an impact on you or changed you in some way? I would say every book I've ever read has had an impact and has changed me in some way. I am or a voracious reader, so I, I'm i just constantly reading. It's my, I, I always say that if there was one thing I could do all day long, every single day, it would be to read. Oh. And I just, I love it. I And I don't love it because I feel like I'm, it's not, it's not the typical kind of, oh, you think you're bettering yourself. You know, it's not that kind of, it's just, I just have such a love of reading and learning. It's mm-hmm. so, so strong in me. So there are so many books that have made a difference in my life that it would almost be a disservice to, to name a specific one, but there are definitely, you know, authors like Alan Watts or, um, like a course in miracles made a huge difference in my life. Um, there are just so many books that have really impacted me on a, a very profound, level. And even, even the sapiens book that I'm reading now, it's just every single word is on purpose. And when you find a book like that, you just, you're, it, it's life changing. And yeah, so there's so many works that I, that I would cite that, like I said, it would almost be to do a disservice, but I, I do think it's like, even every training you get, it changes you. If, I mean, I don't know, I've always had, I've always had great experiences where I felt like, what I had invested in terms of time or anything else was triply returned to me, if not more so. And I feel that way often with books is just, gosh, I got so much. So and my life is so enriched for having read it. And even if I just got one sentence, that's how I feel about a conference too. Even if I just got one idea that is transform, you know, transformational or transformative, then it's, it's been worth everything. Oh, I hear you. And even if you just make one connection at a conference like you, Courtney, then it's all worth it. I have actually resolved that after going to that workshop, um, I definitely need to go to more in-person events because they are amazing in terms of just soaking up knowledge firsthand or meeting people. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy to stay locked behind my desk, so it's quite good for me to get out. Uh, have Same you, <laughs> have you ever, if you're looking back on your past, was there ever sort of a detour that you took in life that taught you something? Uh, uh, kind of like a favorite mistake almost. Yeah. And I don't even know if I'm at that point to call it a favorite mistake <laughs> yet, but I, I think that when I, I hope to be at that point, but when I first set out kind of in my entrepreneurial career and I knew quite a bit about how to manifest what I wanted. And I had all these ideas of what I wanted as an entrepreneur and who I wanted as clients and how I wanted to do it. And I got so caught up in that, that 
I was getting very clear signals, especially even about one client. I was getting clear signals that it wasn't, it wasn't a right choice for me. And I was ignoring those signals because I felt like that would be the stupidest thing ever if you didn't work with this client. And what ended up happening was I was, I was, I was really just trying to cover too many bases. Like I said, I was trying to eat too many cakes at the same time. Mm. And I really feel like in those initial experiences, I, because I was, not listening to my intuition. And because I was trying to do it all uh, at the beginning and sort of keep that same imprint that I had learned. It was like, I knew it was like, I was just applying everything that I had been doing kind of in the corporate sphere. I was applying it in my entrepreneurial life. And I, I, I really learned a very deep and important lesson from that, which was one cake at a time. So I like that. I like the way you're like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to call it like a favorite, but I learned a big (laughs) lesson. Only one cake at a time. Yeah. It's so good. Mm. What is one thing in your day that you can't do without? Okay. So this was hard. Uh, This is a hard one for me because I, I have seasons with this as well. Oh, talk us through it. I want to hear about the seasons. So I used to think like, okay, well, meditation, you know, and I used to be like, I I have to meditate. It's the one thing. If I don't meditate, you know, it changes everything and all this stuff. And I realized that it was that same kind of, I don't even know how to explain it, but like searching energy. I sort of, I felt like even on those days where I just, I really could, I was, it was, draining me to, to show up in that way I was forcing myself. Mm. And so what I started to think of more is like there are seasons. So I have specific things that feel really good to me at different times and in my life or in the year or in the day. And so what I do is I just make a practice out of that thing. Like for instance, I was talking a moment ago about piano and singing, and that's been a big practice for me these past I'd say eight months or so, but now as I go into summer and I'm not doing any more events and things, I I probably won't touch my piano for quite a while. Sing necessarily, unless I'm at a party and and people want to sing, you know, which does happen around here. (laughs) So I I won't touch it, you know, or even sometimes like if I'm feeling like, well, I, I, I feel like, okay, so meditation for me is not necessarily sitting still and breathing in and, you know, focusing on your breath and bringing your attention to your third eye space or your body or your chakras, your energy centers. Meditation for me, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in my book. It's really just the act of being present with whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if I have to say that there's one thing that I do do actually every day is I do seek that presence in everything. So, you know, when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. I'm not Mm -hmm. checking my phone and this goes for this podcast, but it also goes for if I'm talking to you in person, you know, I'm not distracted by other things I've got going on. I'm not, I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm really just grounding myself in that moment with you or whatever it is that's happening so that I can really live it fully. And so I'd say that that's, that's, that's the practice, but it varies in terms of how it physically manifests on a day-to-day basis. I like that. Have you read Danielle Laporte's new book, White Hot Truth? 
I haven't. In fact, I've never read any of Danielle Laporte's work, but it's so funny because everybody who talks to me when, you know, they talk or they read my blog and they say, have you read Danielle Laporte's work? And I haven't. I I hadn't read anything else of hers either. And she's quite a big name if you're not familiar with her and kind of the spiritual self-help world for anyone listening. But uh, I really appreciated this book because she talks about that. She talks about how she like broke up with meditation because Mm -hmm. it just no longer felt good to her. And I loved that. I was like, if you're showing up to a practice and it feels like a chore, then yeah. what are you getting out of it? And so I love your idea of seasons and that you are really in touch with your true intuition and following what feels good and is going to fill you up that day. I like that. Mm-hmm. That sits well mm-hmm. with me. Mm, great. <laughs> great. Uh, well, and it's part of that not beating yourself up and not feeling guilty thing again, you know? Totally. Um, just like this tendency to just think that, oh gosh, I missed it. So I screwed up yeah, and now it's, I it's suck. a lost day and <laughs> yeah. I totally suck and yeah. <laughs> everything's black and, you know, might as well give up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We are so prone to that as women. I see it. I see oh, it all the time absolutely. anyway. Absolutely. Okay. The final question from the set court is how would you describe the soul? Gosh, this question, this question is... There is something that's coming to mind. It's a, it's actually a quote from a speech that Ram Dass gave once, AKA Richard Alpert. He said, the wild geese does not intend to cast its shadow. The water has no mind to receive its image. For me, that's kind of what the soul is like. I don't have a word for it but it's kind of this, it just is. It's just, it's that part that knows that never dies, that's never born, that is almost that piece of us that, I don't know if this has happened with you, but just that observer. Yeah, I get it. It's like you have these moments where you're just, you're just observing and you're, you're fully present, but you're just almost, it's, I hear you. I totally hear you. And it's funny that you just say about that observer at the moment, I'm sitting here in my new office and Mm -hmm. I'm looking out the window and all I can see is trees and blue sky, but there is just all of these little pieces of dandelions floating (laughs) through the sky and it's like magic. And just in that (laughs) moment of silence and how we're talking about that soul connection, that's exactly the word I would use. I've just present in the magic of the moment I guess and I agree I think that our soul is that presence it is that observer and it is incredibly hard to articulate yeah and you know what's really bizarre in such a beautiful way you know we use the word coincidence to talk about chance Uh, but coincidence in mathematical terms actually means when two angles coincide perfectly and it's so funny to hear you talk about these dandelions because I swear right I normally have I mean my books so it's funny when you ask me the nightstand question because my books sort of follow me and when I have time to read a few pages (laughs) I do like I said you know this is kind of this is like that thing my I crave it so much and so one of my books that followed me into my office earlier today was the top five regrets of the dying that I mentioned earlier and literally on the cover, there are these dandelions. <laughs> yes. And, and it's just so it was it was crazy, because as you were talking about it, my eyes moved to that image, even before you talked about dandelions, and you see all of these also the, 
you know, they're, they're pieces of them floating around. It's, you should moments look at the cover after soul. our I'm talk. Go, I'm going to Google because, it. I'm totally yeah. going to Google it. The yeah. moments of yeah. soul connection, right? When, right. when the uh, synchronicities are beautifully bizarre. I love it. That is so perfect. Yeah. It's, it's like what it's non-locality, right? It's what, again, to quote it's Einstein, magic. it's what he called spooky action at a distance, Ooh. right? Is that we're all, we're all connected and we don't need anything, you know, to, <laughs> to actually, we can, it's like, you know, you think of someone and they just call you or you mentioned the dandelions and I'm looking at them on my desk, you know? And Ugh. so this is that in you know quantum mechanics, it's non-locality, it totally but it's, Spooky action at a distance. So Spooky action at a distance. Mm. Okay, there's a couple more questions I want to ask you before we wrap up. And one of them is around this idea that we really touched on a little bit earlier but didn't go into depth with around us being individual contributors. And mm. you mentioned it in your TED Talk, which is going to go live very soon, right? In a few weeks, we should be able to see yeah. it on the net. Yay. Yes, absolutely. So should I be will... even a couple of weeks or maybe after you've aired this, I think Yay. it should be probably the week following that. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to put the link in the show notes as soon as it's available if you want to watch. Mm. Uh, but you talk about it in your TED Talk. Um, can you talk us through, just in a brief sense, uh, the idea of being an individual contributor and how that is important at the whole level as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a great connect back to that concept of sustainability. So the way I think about it is just like the cells in a body. And could you imagine if one of the cells looked over to the right and said, Oh gosh, that cell is doing such amazing work. Maybe if I copy what that cell is doing, then I, I would be better off. Or it looks over to the left and it says, gosh, that cell's doing, that cell's really doing a great job. Maybe I should just call it quits. You know, what I'm doing isn't all that important and I might as well just give up, right? And it, it would almost be like a cell of the eye deciding that it wanted to be a cell of the brain. What happens at the level of like the, the organ, the organism, right. Is that it, it, it's havoc, right. It have havoc uh-huh. and dis dis ease in the body when that starts to happen. But if you look around, so many of us lose sight of what our individual cell oh. is here for it's, it's purpose. And so, and again, this is like the foundational, the foundation or the foundational pieces of all of my work is understanding what is your cells individual contribution? What is your cell actually, because your cell is designed in a very specific way. And the more you get in touch with that and, and here it's very important to, so one of the things that I always say is like, people can't really teach you anything. You know, they can't kind of give you the one, two, three, or just do this thing and you'll be fine. And you sort of see this all over the place because if you look, we have an abundance of solutions to all of our quote problems, right? Like if you have issues with your weight or you have issues with your career, whatever, everyone has your answers, right? But the thing is, nobody has your answers (laughs) except for you, right? And all we can do And what the aim I know of your podcast and everything that you do is to remind people of what they already know, Right. to remind the individual cell of what it already knows, because actually it's designed to function perfectly. And so everything that, again, like that I teach and that, that I work toward is, is helping. I always say, and I don't normally talk about it this way because 
people don't automatically, I don't, I don't say it like right off the bat, but I think after this conversation, <laughs> I can say it is I realized a couple of years ago why I'm here, you know, yeah. what my purpose is. And I sum it up in two words. And, uh, one I say is to enthuse, um, and, and the other, as I say, to educe the genius of others, right? Because I always got that, you know, you're a teacher, you're a teacher. And I always sort of struggled with that. And I, and I always said, well, you know, I have no formal education in that. I, I'm not a teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was just, it kept coming up in my life. And I realized at a certain point, because I love languages and I love etymology. And I realized, you know, I, I am an educator. I am actually, one of what I'm here to do is to educe the genius of others. That's what my individual cell is called to. Mm-hmm. And so... Everybody has their own, their own purpose, their own calling. You can, you can call it whatever you want, but actually every cell has that and knows actually at a very, it's very clear when they, when they start to get rid of the noise and the distractions, what that contribution is and what they're, what they're actually feeling called to, and then to move in that direction. So that's what I mean about the individual cell being healthy and happy is actually what leads to the health and the happiness of the, of the macrocosm, right? So of humanity, right? Of humanity as a whole, if we can all be living in our space of joy and as individual contributors, then we're going to have a happier society. It makes total sense to me. I love it. In fact, that idea resonates with me. Yeah, it's so it's it's full circle back to what we were talking about earlier of this is actually the only way to sustain the this existence that we call humanity that we call so it's you know people are always talking about the planet but the the planet is regenerative and it has many times uh, removed species that that were not in harmony with it and and so it's really not the planet that needs to be saved um it, 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 this experiment that we call humanity is really where the, if we can move into that space of everyone recognizing their own genius and, and uncovering and living that, like you said, living from that space of joy, or as Joseph Campbell put it, you know, uh, following your bliss, Mm -hmm. then we really will have a healthy, healthy world. I love that. And what I am coming back to our whole discussion as well. I hope that that idea can alleviate some of the guilt of following your passion, because Mm -hmm. I know some people feel guilty about stepping into what brings them joy. And it's like, if you can look at that as you are here to do something that brings you alive. And when you're alive, you will brighten up the world around you. I mean, absolutely. Such yeah. a powerful way to look at it. And and the last thing I want to add about that is that I think a lot of people, they think it's guilt, but actually it's something even deeper. And it's, it's a fear of how powerful they are. And there's this beautiful quote by, I think it's Nelson Mandela, but I may be wrong about that. But it's, you know, your greatest fear is not that you're inadequate, but your greatest fear is that you are powerful beyond measure. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I want to ask yeah. you one more question before we I'm wrap up today. Change starts within you. Your new book, which is just about to be released, all of the details will be in the show notes and I'm going to mention it in the outro. Who did you mm. write it for, Corp? Oh, gosh. I wrote it, I have to say, I wrote it for my soul. My soul has been knocking on this door for a really long time. It's been asking to 
express itself this way. And I keep, I kept saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you and I met at a writer's conference and I was still on that track of, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, and it came to a point where I was just, it, I had, I, it needed to be birthed and it, that expression needed to come through me in that way. And, and that, that's what I wrote it for that. I wrote it for that, that soul piece. And I also wrote it for everyone I've ever talked to and worked with and all of the beautiful gifts they've given me in sharing their stories and allowing me to remind them of their own power. And so, because I also can't obviously work with everybody, um, because I'm, I'm a finite <laughs> resource. Um, I, I really wanted some of the, some of the things that I, that I teach in ways that I, like I said, help remind people to be readily available to anybody who wanted access to them without having to go directly to work with me. Um, so, so those are, those are the two people I wrote that book for. Love it. If you, were to, yeah, <laughs> if you were to leave us with a final thought, Court, what would it be? Hmm. It's funny. I, I just spent a few days in Madrid with some very close friends of mine. And one of my friends said the best, most important piece of advice is or, or was she saying like self de self development, self, whatever she was just saying that, listen to your breath. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's so simple and so profound. I, I, one of my favorite quotes is from Leonardo da Vinci. He said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication mm -hmm. and the simplicity of just going to your breath, because it's about anchoring you again into what you know to be true. So even if you, you don't do any other exercises, you don't listen to any other podcasts ever, you don't read another book on spiritual or personal development or whatever. If you actually just spent time with your breath, which is, you know, the, the divinity that's rising and falling in you countless times a day, it's enough. It's enough all on its own. I hope you enjoyed that. So Courtney's new book, Change Starts Within You, is due for release any day now. If it is available, I will have the link in the show notes. You can also head to Courtney's website, which is www.courtinc.com. Now, it's really important to know that Courtney doesn't have a U in her name. So it is Court, C-O-R-T, Inc, I-N-C, dot com. Her TED Talk is also going to be available any moment now. And I'm sure you'll find links for that on her website, as well as in the show notes, should you need it. I've also linked to all of those amazing books she mentioned. I have ordered Sapiens already. I'm fascinated. Now, next week in the schedule, I have another interview. 
As part of coming back after hiatus, I thought it would be fun to mess things up a little bit and do two interviews back to back. So Elise Santilli is going to be talking to us about manifesting miracles next week. It's pretty fun. So if you're into the law of attraction or slightly fascinated by the ideas put forward in The Secret or have always kind of found metaphysics fascinating, this one is for you. Until then, just keep thriving. 